so good to be with you all this morning. I have a question. Brothers and sisters, are you ready to be changed? Anyone? <laughs> some say yes, some say no. Most people are just looking terrified, saying, I don't know what the question even means. You know, preachers used to scare their congregations a lot, right, with the question, are you ready to go to heaven today? Are you ready? Are you prepared? And I think that was an actually easy question to answer. You, yes, you are. No, you aren't. Are you ready to be changed is a little bit different. It takes, means that there's going to be some steps involved. There's going to be a little bit of work. And uh, I just don't know if I'm up for all that. I'm sorry, but I think sometimes we are very timid people. Now, we do great works in this church and a lot of other churches around the world. We volunteer and we serve and we do many many good things, but we are timid and we are shy about stepping up when the time comes. Um, I see this all the time just in church. Now, I have the privilege of singing not only in chancel choir, but also in our praise team. And when we're singing some of the praise songs, some people are truly inspired by the Holy Spirit. They, they want to show you what they're doing. Some people, not so much. They're not quite sure. I see, when I'm standing up here, you think I'm not watching, but I am. There are people who are not quite sure, so they kind of hold their hands here. This is called the ninja move, because nobody can really see. But you're, you're there for the spirit if he wants to come down here. All right? There is the pound cake move. Would you like, this is when you're singing, you hold your hands out like this, like you're offering a nice pound cake to someone. There's the high five, if you're really feeling bold and adventurous, right? You can even do this to the rhythm you got rhythm. There's the YMCA. <laughs> you create a little funnel effect and the spirit just pours right down. And then there's the one that I usually resort to. It's the, uh, when you're not really sure about this, it's the one hand. All right. <laughs> this hand says yes. This hand's not so sure, so we're kind of hedging our bets here. I'm timid sometimes. I'm kind of shy. You know what else I'm shy about? Holding hands. Really, I'm not all that big a fan of it. In praise team, when we finish rehearsal, we gather in a circle, we share our celebrations and concerns. And uh, Becky, our leader, bless her heart, bless her heart, likes us to hold hands in the circle. Eh, not such a big fan of that. Because then the conversation goes on. My uncle needs prayers for his surgery. Oh, your uncle's sick. What's wrong? Well, he went to the hospital three months ago. And, and it just goes on and on and on. And meanwhile, I'm standing here holding hands, and if you've ever stood next to Terry Haney, this man has attention deficit disorder, and he likes to start doing things with his hand <laughs> over here when you're holding hands, and it's a little distracting. So I'm overall not a big fan. Maybe it's me, maybe it's just me, but I think, um, you know, sometimes it's just hard to step forward. I'm willing to talk up here in front of you all, but holding hands kind of throws me off a little bit. We're timid and we're shy, and I'm, please tell me you all have these same issues, right? Um, but you know what? We come from a long, proud tradition of timid and shy people. Let's look at the apostles that Jesus collected, the disciples. Eh, I don't think these were the sharpest tools in the shed sometimes, right? I mean, maybe they were just there to set it up to make Jesus look so good, but they asked some stupid questions. They did some stupid things. They fell asleep when they were supposed to stay awake. They denied Jesus when they were supposed to affirm him. And, uh, when Jesus was gone, what do we do? What do we do? I don't know. 
they weren't always jumping on the boat here and leading. But then something happened, right? What's today? Pentecost. What happened is Pentecost. It was a transformative experience. Now, why were the disciples all gathered together? It says they were celebrating the Festival of Weeks, which is a Jewish tradition, Jewish holiday, and surprise, surprise, from an agrarian society, it's a harvest festival where they celebrate the first fruits. So they're there. But we don't think necessarily that they were, you know, in prayer and meditation for 36 hours straight. I don't know why it happened this day and not another day. But the Holy Spirit came down and was amongst them. The Spirit came. What did they say? It sounded like a wind. Wind means change. There were tongues of fire. And they were transformed. We don't know why. And you know what? We don't know how much the apostles had to say about this. Did they get verbal consent before the Holy Spirit transformed them? Did they say, yes, Jesus, I understand the terms and conditions and I will accept your Holy Spirit? I don't think so. I think it was God coming down and saying, you are now chosen. Your life is no longer your own. Remember, Christ promised he would baptize his followers, what? Not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And boy, did they get a baptism there. And what happened then? They began speaking. Speaking in other languages. Now, a lot of people do get confused when they read this scripture because they've heard about, but maybe not exposed to, speaking in tongues. We're a mainline Protestant uh, denomination, so we don't do this too much around here. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been exposed to it. I did once. And it's quite an experience where people have this ecstatic speech. They're just possessed by the Holy Spirit. They don't even sometimes know what they're saying. You need an interpreter of tongues for that. But that's not, not what happened on Pentecost. What happened was they began speaking in languages known to man and other languages. And everyone who started to gather around said, wait, I know that language. Uh, and, and you saw in the scripture reading this morning all the different places that the crowd had gathered from. And Jeff... Great job on reading all those places. That was a tough scripture. It can be hard. But they were understood by this diverse crowd. All right? So it wasn't just um, uh, speaking in tongues to show people the power of the Spirit, but it was to communicate a message. And I don't know how the apostles decided what they wanted to say. Again, not totally clear, and we are not told their exact words, but the crowd was amazed. The crowd was bewildered. And some of the crowd was a little bit cynical, right? What did they say? Oh, they must be drunk on the new wine. Well, what else could it be, right? Well, Peter, good old Peter, steps up. And he says, look, I want you to believe that there was a wind. And I want you to believe that there were tongues of fire. And I want you to believe that we are speaking in tongues. But drinking at 9 o'clock in the morning, I don't think so. Disciples don't do that. Peter suddenly found his voice. He got up. Now, he started out as a fisherman, right? But this man knew his scripture. Knew it better than I do these days, I'll tell you that. He quoted Joel. I'm going to read this again. I will pour out my spirit on all the people, your sons and daughters. Well, prophecy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophecy. And then Peter doesn't stop there. I didn't make Jeff read all of this, but it goes on. He tells this crowd that has gathered, these Jews that have gathered around them, 
the story of Jesus. And he doesn't just tell them the good stuff, the easy stuff, the Sermon on the Mount. He tells them about the death of Jesus. He tells them about the resurrection. When you think about it, when you're approaching a crowd that has never heard this before, you might want to gloss over those parts at first. But he was not shy about this. He told them about the resurrection that uh, it had been prophesied in the Old Testament in Psalm by King David. And he wanted them to believe. And then he told them that each and every one of them, Jew and non-Jew alike, were responsible for the death of Jesus. He was hitting them on all cylinders here. And he won them over. I mean, he did. They were, they were hurt. They were bewildered. And they said, well, what do we do now? Now that we've killed our Lord and Savior, what do we do? Tell us. Well, Peter, pretty good for a fisherman. He's been hitting them with a stick. And now he offers them the carrot. He says, what you do is you repent. What you do is you become baptized in the Holy Spirit. Repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. And so Peter is out there, and he's just preaching away, and he doesn't just stop there, he just keeps going. He, he warned them, he pleaded with them, he loved these people, and he pleaded with them to accept what he was offering. And Peter found his voice. He was no longer timid. On that day, how many did he baptize? Was it about 30? That'd be pretty good. Uh-uh. 300? Not even close. 3,000 people they baptized that day because Peter accepted the Spirit and was transformed and was now Peter the Rock. He accepted them, and then they were transformed, and the church truly was transformed and begun. Well, that's pretty exciting stuff. It must have been great to be there and to witness all that. Can you imagine being around part of that? It's too bad something like that can never happen here. Or could it? You know what? Um, we have this wonderful church here. I love this church, this Arlington. I've been a Methodist all my life. This is my home. This is where the people I love are. This is where it's safe and comfortable. But you know what? I don't think the Holy Spirit comes, comes to us and calls us to be safe. And the Holy Spirit doesn't always call for us to be comfortable. I'm going to segue just for a minute here, because I want to tell you about this, um, uh, where I got a lot of my early religious indoctrination. When I was a child, I read, like a lot of other people, the Chronicles of Narnia. And I think I've talked about this before, but I'll give you just a quick, very quick brief. English children transported through a magical portal to this world called Narnia, where they're talking animals and witches and giants and battles over good and evil. And most of all, there is this lion named Aslan who is so good and who helped create the world and is there to save the world. And it's a Jesus, Jesus uh, part, right? I didn't know that when I first read it, but I eventually got there. So why I bring this up is because when in, there were seven books, whenever these children came to this world, things would be in terrible shape, right? There was a battle to be fought, something to be overcome. And the children would say, where's Aslan? Why doesn't he come do this? Why doesn't he fix this? And what they were told was that Aslan is not a tame lion. He's not a tame lion. When I was a kid, I didn't know what that meant. But I think I have an idea now. It meant that he came on his terms. 
He came on his schedule and he did according to his plan. Not according to the needs of the people there, but according to what he knew best. And I say that because I think about the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit is not a tame spirit. It doesn't come on our schedule. You know, when we can work him in on our calendars. It doesn't guarantee it's going to be here Sunday morning. Maybe it will. But it might be another day. The Spirit responds to its own needs. And there's a reason we call it surrendering to God. Because we give up that control when we say yes. So with your time, Lord, your plan, Lord, we surrender that control. Now you all remember, here's another segue, you all remember Newton's first law of motion, I'm sure. Yes, of course you do. It's, it's that objects at rest tend to stay at rest. And the corollary to that is objects in motion tend to stay in motion. All right? If you're sitting still, it's awfully hard to get moving, right? But if you're moving, sometimes it's kind of hard to stop. Now, the trick to that is it stays that way. You're going to stay at rest unless acted on by an external force. What could that external force be? Could be the wind. It could be fire. It's the Holy Spirit motivating us to not be at rest, but to be motivated to move and to change and to transform. It's so easy. I speak from personal experience. It's so easy to be shy. It's so easy to be timid. And it's so easy to stick to what we know. But we are called for greater things than that. That is our legacy and that is our calling. I want to bring up one more scripture. It's not directly connected to what we've read before, but it's just I love the poetic imagery of it. This is from 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, in that case, Paul was speaking of the end times, when Jesus will come and claim his kingdom. But I say, why not now? We can be transformed today. It's terrifying, and it's thrilling at the same time to leave our boats and our nets, just drop them and follow Jesus, to stand apart from this world. We are so consumed by this world. We see what the world wants us to see. We hear what the world wants us to hear. And most of all, we talk the way the world wants us to talk. We are called to do differently. We are called to see in a new, with new eyes to hear with new ears, and most of all, to speak with new tongues, to speak the word of God, not the way the world would work, but the way the world, the way God would have us do, to stand apart from this world and to live in another. Oh, but it's hard. It's so hard, but we are called to be bold. We are called to accept the promise God has made to us. We are called to sing when the Spirit says sing, and to pray when the Spirit says pray, to stand and to shout as we are directed, not according to our will, but according to God's. Surrender of control is hard. To be bold is hard. But we have a fine legacy to look at. We see people who were timid and shy, and they rose to the occasion, just as we can today. In this church, in this time, in this world, the options are always in front of us. The Spirit will touch us as we will.
but in his time and according to his will. Let us say yes to the Spirit. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you call us your own. We are your children, but sometimes we are children who stray. Please help us to see the path you would have for us, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to say yes to that Spirit, to have our lives transformed so that we live not according to our will, but according to yours. In the name of Jesus who came to save us and in the name of the Holy Spirit who transforms us and lives through us. Amen.